Athletics forever fights the scenario of whether it is an individual sport or a team stroke club sport. So many athletes have to do it on their own, in inverted commas. They may have a coach or a parent, but they don't necessarily have the team environment that means they can jump into something that's already there for them. I think it's really hard for me to try and balance my competing with coaching currently, and probably a bit of support would be welcome. Even a book, remember those? They still exist. And just reading around your subject and understanding it, but then taking that information and trying to apply it correctly to athletes because nobody's a, a normal biomechanical model. The sights and sounds of the indoor season are upon us. We're in the birthplace of Jess Gennis Hill, a combined events legend, and it's the combined events indoor championships here. A real range of experience, those with international vests and some coming through with potential also. It's the English Institute of Sport here in Sheffield, a venue that's now coming up to two decades old, a venue that's so important for this region, having somewhere to train in particular to the winter. So there's so many elements into the mix here and where better place to discuss future strategy for Athletics. So joining me are Chris Jones, CEO and Head of Operations, Dan Isherwood. So we've had some feedback from 3,000 athletes, 300 clubs. You want to hear some ideas for what needs to be improved upon and fine-tuned. Yeah, exactly. In addition to the 3,000 athletes and 300 clubs, we've also spoken to about 2,000 volunteers. But ultimately, we're in a position now where we're wanting to plan for the future based on what athletes in the sport need. So we've listened to the views, things like still requiring a focus on clubs, on competition, and on making sure that we've got enough capacity within the sport to cope with the demands. I mean, they're inextricably linked, making sure our clubs feel supported, that they are um, welcoming, providing our club athletes with the best possible competition, the most appropriate level of competition, whatever their aspiration, whatever their ability, so that we're keeping people in the sport. Coach development is fundamental. Some of the feedback that we've had over the last six months has shown us that coaches don't just want to come into the system and qualify. They want to progress beyond athletics coach. And I think that's an area that we as home countries, working together with UK Athletics, need to look at really carefully. But also, what are we doing to support coaches in a non-qualification-based sense as well? So mentoring, development through conferencing, masterclassing. And finally, making sure that we're encouraging more people to come into the officials' family this weekend. We've got a number of new aspiring officials coming in and shadowing. So I think there are a number of linked pieces Numerous challenges, but we're not in a bad place. Thanks, Chris. Well, um, let's head out around the stadium to try and find a few interesting parents, coaches, officials and volunteers with something to say. Glad to have found two men who've had vests for GB and Andrew yourself for Scotland in the past. So Andrew Murphy and John Lane. I gather, Andrew, that you, you play the bagpipes. You've actually played it at a wedding. Yes, I do so. I played bagpipes since, since I was a wee kid, yeah. Why bagpipes apart from being Scottish uh, I don't know my dad <laughs> played them and my grandpa played them so it's just like you ha- I was expected to play them yeah when one thinks of bagpipes you always think of Scotland the Brave the yeah. classic is there anything unusual that you've ever played on bagpipes I can play the Star Wars theme tune on the bagpipes <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's brilliant and is it, is it quite hard to do something like that or is it as simple as let's say another instrument I mean it's quite hard to be good at it but like I'd say I'm good enough that nobody knows I'm bad mm. And it doesn't take that much time to get to that stage. 
So tell me about your sort of work, training, balance. How do you find it? So I work as a high school teacher up in Scotland, but I only work part-time. I work three days a week, which means I can do my training on top of that as well. So I couldn't work full-time and do all of this, but I need to work part-time to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, which is an understandable situation a lot of athletes are in. John, you work on the side as well? Yeah, I do, yeah. I work at um, Sheffield United Football Club as a coach, coach academy out there. I spend a lot of time in Australia in the summer doing athletics coaching over there. I went to school in Australia, so... I've got a tie down there that I go there every four months, but this is the first year I haven't gone. I've gone back to uni now, so that as well to balance the University of Huddersfield. So getting there and back is, I wouldn't say it's hard. You've just got to make sure you're organised and you plan stuff out. Do you have any thoughts on how people could be better supported, whether it's coaches or athletes? Anything that you would like to see changed or, or, or something that you think that is good that we need more of? When I was younger, we always had squads. So everyone would meet up at the one place so top 12 14 decathletes and their coaches who got brought down to Loughborough or Brunel or Lee Valley when it was a weekend where all the coaches from everywhere else would sit down and try and make everyone in that group better including the coaches so then that's kind of gone now so you kind of left your own device like if you're up in Scotland or you're down in London and you don't you don't see each other till really you compete against each other so I just think that there needs to be some kind of like just a way of somehow meeting up every couple of months and just seeing where everyone's at and I know a lot of people brought a lot other countries do it that's not for me to say but I just think that coaches need to be just as like they need to learn just as much as we do yeah so make it easier for people of the same event to form relationships essentially yeah. right let's finish off with a game if that's okay I don't know if you've ever watched Question of Sports or familiar with sort of mystery guest game so I've got some clues for famous multi-events stars right first clue I was born in 1972 in West Bromwich Denise Lewis correct <laughs> come on the only one I knew that was that around that age that's, that's good maths I just want the game completed it next person hurdles are a particular strong point Jess Ennis yes one each okay this can be the decider then I'm just going to yell anything here <laughs> John Lane <laughs> The European Athletics Championships this year are on home soil for me. That's good. No. <laughs> Andrew's looking very confused, but other people Kevin seem to Mio. know. Yes! Yeah. Oh, you want an athlete. <laughs> Sorry, I just forgot, I suddenly forgot the, um, the game. <laughs> Brilliant, congratulations. You uh, get a, a ceremonial new pair of bagpipes. Thanks very much, Jess. <laughs> So a quick break in session and trackside, I found Jess Taylor-Gemmett, the Commonwealth medalist from 2014. Jess, I understand you've recently turned your hand to coaching as well at Sale Harriers. How are things going? Really well, actually. I've got my girls at higher end just moved up to under 20, which is my first time coaching in January instead of competing. I'm slowly making the transition, but I think it's really hard for me to try and balance my competing with coaching currently. And probably a bit of support would be welcome. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the sort of thing that we're discussing. What are your thoughts on how things might be able to change to make you feel better supported or, or able to develop further? I think maybe having a mentor in the event would be really helpful. Um, I know there's a lot of great command events coaches around, so I think I know there is some schemes that do that, but for me personally, I don't have one, so I think that would be an asset. Other things like we have one regional command events day a year, Oh, sorry, a national one, but it'd be great if you could have regional ones where we meet up and you can discuss ideas with other coaches and bounce off each other. 
So Jess, we've found a couple of the athletes that you're now coaching. Do you just want to uh, introduce us to who have we got here? Yeah, we've got Elise Fryfantis, Shay Fryfantis, Ella Wilson and Scarlett Whittaker. Say hello. Hello. The girls are now going to read clues to the mystery guests sort of game of combined event, heptathlon and decathlon stars. Elise, so first clue. I'm 26 years old and turned 27 this month. KJT. Correct. Yes, and the other clues made it significantly easier. They are? I am a 1 metre 98 high jumper and a 6.93 long jumper. That's pretty impressive, yes. There's a goal for you to <laughs> set your sights on. I'm the current world champion and national record holder for Great Britain. Great yeah, Britain. what did you make of watching KJT break the British record in Doha? It was fab. She, she was my training partner for five years, mm. so um, it was really nice to finally see her reap her award. Well done, everyone. Thank you very much. So it looks like the senior men's heptathlon is underway. Just saw Britain's Andrew Murphy come through a moment ago. I found Liz from Worksop, so not too far away from the English Institute of Sport here in Sheffield. Uh, Liz, you've got quite a bit of interest here competing today, your, your children? I have. I've got two sons, one competing in the senior men's and one competing in the under-20s men's. Tell us your experience as a track and field parent and whether you think that the support is there in terms of the specialist combined events coaching. I think it's very hard to find a good coach and if you do, it's very hard to find it in your own reason. We are members of a Doncaster club, but we all we train in Sheffield purely for the fact of getting a good coach. We could really do with some kind of register so we know where coaches are rather than just hoping to go by word of mouth from one coach to another. And what about the competitions that you go to being of value and being worthwhile and being a good experience? We tend to do the big competitions like today basically because there is such a good level but there's also room for the lesser-abled athletes to compete with the better athletes and learn from them. These big competitions are really, really good in that respect. What's your name? Gareth. I travel from Cardiff. Right, so a Welsh perspective here. What's been your experience? How do you feel the level of support is in Wales relative to finding combined events expertise? Well, it's very demanding, obviously. The athlete will be training six, five or six days a week. With that, obviously, there comes a lot of wear and tear, <laughs> uh, possible injury. Support for possibly massage or regular massage or kind of general injury, then, you know, that, that would be welcomed. It's not necessarily those at the top end of the sport at the moment, but perhaps the 8th, ninth, 10th or even lower. They might not be reaching their peak at the age of 16, 17, 18 and 19, it becomes very expensive for parents, obviously. If that support is final down, further down that ranking list, then I think you will see a number of athletes staying within the sport feeling valued, I suppose. Some priorities that have been suggested or, or put forward are to have an agenda which raises standards across the board but focuses also on improving people's experiences of actually being trained and turning up to try and keep young athletes in the sport also targeting those with some potential to help them realise it rather than pure focus on participation only. Participation obviously is eventually the key. I mean, you, you find out whether you really enjoy the, the sport when you're in a, a strenuous environment or a, a, a stressful environment. You have to turn up 
day in day out to train and walk away from the track feeling yeah I enjoyed that um, I'm enthused by that those are teaching goals or learning goals I can I can grasp and, and, and move forward so I think the, the learning environment has to be one where you can flourish um, and express yourself and whether they can then present that in a competition environment you have to have that participation so who have we got here uh, Pedro Glido from Brecky from Bromley and father and coach Neil Gleedle that coach and father and son relationship how's that going? Uh, yeah very well you know we have a very very good like communication skills and never really have any problems with training with each other we get along quite well how old are you? Um, I'm 18 now just okay then. so you've come towards the end of school you have to try and balance studies with training and, and athletics how's it going so far? Uh, yeah I think it's going quite well like obviously reaching the end of year 13 and training being the funner side of everything but I find it quite easy to balance out everything because I take my training a bit more seriously. I have very very high expectations and high aims to go to the world champs. Nice to hear that you're, you're really motivated there and, and talking about sort of setting goals and just turning to your dad now. What's your background in terms of becoming a coach? I started coaching Pedro about three years ago. My background is actually in dance and martial arts. I'm a capoeira teacher. I've been uh, doing that for about 20 years. So I came into athletics a bit cold um, to help Pedro and I've sort of reached out to other coaches to, to help on that side of things while trying to bring in that angle of dance and martial arts and movement to his training. It's that balance between keeping it fun and keeping it serious. So he, you know, to try and um, know that he's not a professional athlete, but at the same time, he's an ambitious athlete. So trying to keep that level of intensity in the sessions at the right point. People often use the example of Dina Asher-Smith and John Blackie, who started together at your club, uh, Blackheath and Bromley. John continues to develop as, as Dina does, and that's often important, rather than just relying on, well, let's take the best athletes to the best coaches. Have you found that support is available? How easily accessible is it? Yeah, I've found more senior coaches very approachable over the last few years. We've, we've tried to bring in their expertise, their, their coaching eye. I think what's important is that you try and get a coach with similar ideas and philosophies that you can bring in so it's not a different approach for the athlete. It all sort of moulds together. You can try and get the right mentor for yourself as a coach without disrupting the, the training methodologies and, and philosophies that you're going with. Right, we're going to finish off with a quick game. So I've got a couple of clues here to famous heptathlon and decathlon stars. You will see me on your screen, but not in sports kit. I think that's Denise Lewis, because yeah, she, yeah. uh, she does the commentary. Oh. Okay, Denise Lewis. All right. Correct. Pretty good. Do you compete in pub quizzes often, or? No, maybe I should. Sports <laughs> trivia. When, when he's on question of sport in the future, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give him some tips. <laughs> My name's Phil Whitfield. Um, and I'm a coach at Liverpool, Pembroke and Sefton. What a fantastic facility this is in Sheffield. Could do with a facility like it at Liverpool. The nearest one we've got is Manchester. It's another hour away and an hour journey back. So somewhere in Liverpool where the youth and the talent Liverpool could go um, and get the technical knowledge that they probably need throughout the winter to make them stronger for the summer is something that, yeah, we would benefit from, most definitely. And with you, you have? Jamie Hopkins, a trainer of Bill Whitfield. I know a lot of people start off with combined events, but what drew you to it and has kept you running, jumping and throwing? Well, I started six years ago and I'm finding everything new, like new events like pole vault, which I enjoy. <laughs> I still haven't learned hammer or anything, so I'm looking forward to learning something like that. 
A lot of people wouldn't dare attempt the pole vault as we look at the pole vault bed across the track here. What made you even dare to have a go at something so complex as pole vault? Well, I wanted to challenge myself and I want to be doing this pretty much the rest of my life. So You do come from the same city as Katarina Johnson-Thompson. Yeah. What inspiration does that give you? I've met her twice, one at Liverpool training. I trained with her for a tiny bit, which was really good. And then I met her at uh, Manchester. Gives me hope that anyone could be top because she's really good and she, she does inspire me. So for our mystery guest game, Jamie has decided to test coach Phil. On your marks, go. I broke the world record four times. Oh, uh, I need more than that. I've won all four major titles. Uh, Daley Thompson? Correct. Yeah, yeah after that it's going to be... Personal best is 8,847 points. And you might notice my moustache. <laughs> You've got a moustache growing. Yeah. <laughs> Mere coincidence. Let's go and chat to some officials now. So what's your name? Uh, I'm Andy Hulse, my name is. So what's your role here today? I'm, I'm here as a, as a field judge today. I started in t- as an official in 2004 because my daughter's in athletics mm-hmm. and it was something to fill the time. And I've been very fortunate because I've done the Olympics, the Paras, the Worlds, indoors, outdoors, the Europeans, etc. I've been very fortunate in that. It's difficult. I mean, I know that the, the demographics are such that they're all getting on quite a bit yeah. and the young ones are there, but I think the demands on them outside athletics makes it more difficult for them to be able to do what we do. I notice every year less officials available to do things, unfortunately. And if that's the case at a national level, you can only imagine that that has a domino effect at regional and, and you know, county level, definitely. Not necessarily. I happen to do a lot of the uh, officials sorting out for Midland counties, and we've actually got more officials for this indoor season than we've had for a while, which is excellent. But that's quite a lot of new officials, which is great, and we hope they get the experience, but it's going to take them several years to get up to the sort of national, international level. Ian Humphreys from Somerset, your views on uh, what the priorities should be to improve officiating in terms of numbers, experience, all of that stuff. At our club, uh, which is uh, Mendiper Athletics Club, we've got a wonderful volunteers organiser and he does a great job starting off some new officials from the parents of our younger members. You know, we've got to acknowledge that uh, many of the, the parents and their youngsters are going to be involved in the sport for a small number of years. So getting uh, the parents involved after their kids have been with the club for a couple of years guarantee that we can get probably four or five years uh, of use out of them before their youngsters get to kind of 16, 17, 18 and the crunch point and a lot of them will sadly leave the sport. Hopefully, as this official himself stayed on after his kids left uh, and he's gone through the ranks and he's now a national level four. Uh, so hopefully we can see increasingly people who are interested uh, in staying on after their kids. Now, if you spend any particular time at athletics events, you might recognise the face of Malcolm Rogers. He's always up and uh, ready to be counted as an official. Malcolm, any thoughts from you in terms of making best use of those skilled or keen to get involved? Well, you may be aware there's a project going on at the moment between England Athletics and Northern Athletics. We immediately identified the major issue 
conversion from attending courses as an official to actually becoming qualified at level one. And the dropout rate is horrendous. So I think that has to be the focus after people have completed the course. We need to track, we need to support, we need to help. Uh, to make sure that they actually get through to uh, qualified status, which is a relatively simple process. Course numbers are good. Conversion rates are less than 40% in many cases, which obviously is the problem. And of course, the world has changed so much. And if I look back to the time when I came into officiating, I grew up in a very different world. Nowadays, in any sort of relationship, two people both have to work to put a roof over their heads getting time off is difficult. We've experienced that right up at the top level where we tried to send people on international courses only to find that their employers wouldn't give them time off. So I think we've got to recognise that. We can be innovative, so we don't say to people you need to come down for eight hours for a complete meeting, come down, give us a couple of hours. So I'm sure we can improve the experience and keep better contact with people early on. I think that's a key to it. Well, let's bounce a few ideas off Ian Hodge yeah. from the Performance Department of British Athletics. A number of parents that have come here are quite new to the sport. Many of them have started coaching their children. They might not have come from an athletics background. What can be done to support those types of people? That's a very key point, and I think it highlights where we aren't joined up. For instance, in many other sports, and athletics included, you would first port of call go to your club to see what I can learn and we aren't as a sport very good at getting our club to reach out and embrace our own athletes who are members of that club and as a consequence that may well be something that they have already tried and now in a specialist arena like the combined events they are asking like-minded parents and coaches where can I go and I think that is where they can go um, but I would like to see the clubs offering more. A number of people naturally come from smaller areas and they do have to travel to regional centres like this venue here the English Institute of Sport and in some ways you have to do that to, to find expertise and that will always be an issue. How do you think is perhaps best to try and counteract that? Is there anything that can be done in that regard? I would rather see those who are already of a certain level in terms of knowledge being upstilled that much more than us to try and spread things thinner, if that's the right word for it, because at the moment we we don't have enough people with the knowledge and if we do try and spread things out so as for instance maybe you only had 30 minutes to go to find something of of quality uh, in terms of coaching input it doesn't give you what you really desire so i think going to centers such as the institute of sport is the way forward i think again this highlights how athletics forever fights the scenario of whether it is an individual sport or a team stroke club sport so many athletes have to do it on their own in inverted commas they may have a coach or a parent but they don't necessarily have the team environment that means they can jump into something that's already there for them therefore their commitment level has to be so much higher than it might be in a sport where there could be let's say 11 people as part of a team Tony Minicello, coach to Jessica Ennis Hill, and uh, someone who is here time and time again coaching athletes 
here in Sheffield. What do you think can be done to help coaches be supported? We're at a dilemma, unfortunately, in Britain. The event-specific course isn't up and running yet, and I think that will go a long way to supporting coaches in terms of their personal education. But in the meantime, it's really about going out and learning for yourself, assessing the weaknesses, the highs and lows, and what's needed for the athlete that you're working with or the child that you have, and trying to find expertise and go out and learn. And I think learn from as many people as you can. There's so much information out there. If you're looking at information on YouTube, Twitter, all of these different places, we've got so many platforms now that you can use. And it's still, even the printed word, even the, even a book, remember those? Um, they still exist. And just reading around your subject and understanding it, but then taking that information and trying to apply it correctly to athletes because nobody's a, a normal biomechanical model. It's, it's not that. Everybody's got their foibles. So it's being able to apply the information to to an athlete but it's getting out there and learning and scouring and looking for good practice and there is a fair amount of good practice up and down the country well time to grab a cup of tea before gathering some thoughts from the day reconvening with chris and um... a lot of interesting views from a range of people parents and coaches athletes people who've transitioned to coaching but used to be an athlete like uh, Jester Taylor Jemmers I suppose she's she's in the latter stages of her career people who've come from different backgrounds like the gentleman who had a martial arts background and was trying to apply that people agreeing with some of the priorities and the challenges wanting it to be easier to know who to go for if you're an inexperienced coach that needs a mentor or if you're looking to develop but maybe don't quite have the time, it may be the case that people feel that themselves or they've noticed other coaches around them who seem to have all the skills to develop but maybe aren't pushed to do it. They're quite shy about their own um, abilities and, and their potential. And it could be the same for athletes as well. Uh, one gentleman was saying that he feels that some athletes have got international vests but they've drifted away all too easily and their parents maybe don't have the the background to try and uh, to work out what they might need to stay in the sport and that's maybe where England athletics with expertise can come in. I think that a lot of what's been said by people today is, is supported a lot that what's been said before. Track and field is something that we know from previous research is not in boom whereas running is. Track and field, we know, is engaging and retaining enough athletes. And again, I think that's something that we will definitely be focused on in the, in, the, uh, in the new strategy, especially around competition. Chris, through this podcast, we've heard clapping and cheering from athletes, something that's typical often of combined events in particular. But it reminds us just how uh, important the focus is that athletes are enjoying their event and they're continued to be motivated and incentivized. And that's come up. But another point that's come up, one gentleman was saying to me that he feels that there has been great investment in getting people running. As a result, there may be a concern that elite performance at the top level or those with potential may have suffered a little. So what would you say about that note on participation versus performance? It's a well-trodden discussion. Uh, should you invest more in the top end versus the bottom end? I think the reality is you need to invest in both. And there are a number of people who would say that with a broad base, a participation base in a late development sport, you've got more chance then of 
perhaps identifying and nurturing more people through to the to the top of the pyramid as well there are some excellent things that are going on within the sport as well so participation numbers in general are are healthy albeit we've got some challenges in track and field and i think there's an opportunity to refocus some of our resource on what i would call the kind of core element of our sport the core aspect of our sport to make sure those fundamentals that uh, such as coaching, club development, officials and uh, volunteering are front and centre and, and resourced properly. I think it's an opportunity for us to clarify the roles and responsibilities here between obviously our partners at UK Athletics and what we do at home country level. Make sure that with Birmingham 2022 on the horizon, the sport is uh, as well prepared as it possibly can be at all levels to capitalise on the interest that 2022 will create. Uh, it's about sustaining participation and keeping people's interest in the sport as much as anything. I believe one of our financial enablers at this moment in time as an organisation is about generating more funds and reducing our dependency on one particular provider. Now, yes, we need to develop resources to invest in the sport, but we need to think very, very carefully about where that resource is spent as well there's no use in just chasing funding for funding's sake it has to be funding that's secured to support the real priorities for the sport you know some of those things will take further thought and certainly the contributions of people today have been very helpful in kind of formalizing that and clarifying some of it england athletics chris jones they're reflecting on some of the things that you've heard in this podcast well we're still keen to hear your views on the challenges faced and the plans for the future to see whether they match up with the feedback that's come through so far. So if you want to have your say, head to our website or search for England Athletics Future Strategy online.